0: Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He is one of the first American BJJ black belts. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience. Super excited to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Chris Howder. Hello, sir. How's it going, guys? Doing good. Cue audience applause here. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. (laughs) You know, I want to start things off. I mean, we'll get into how, of course, you got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and your background in martial arts. Go in depth on that. But I'm very interested to go into those first kind of garage days, so to speak. Because nowadays, you can find a jiu-jitsu school if you kind of throw a rock, you know? So can you kind of go into, what was that even like, training with the Gracies and the garage days? You know, everything is everything's relative, right?
1: You know, I often say it's kind of like what was it like to have the first iphone or or ipad I, I mean back then it was really unique and cool now it's everywhere so in some ways it's um it's hard to actually explain with, without being in the context of time but but i definitely knew that i had hit, i'd struck gold you, you know i i found the well, gold mine and and not that I sought out and found it, which, but I did, but like I was in the right place, right time, you know, it's one of those things that I have to just
0: feel grateful and lucky. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, any, uh, interesting training stories back then? Cause like I said, nowadays people just show to a school, they sign the waiver. There's a whole, uh, course curriculum, things on BJJ fanatics, YouTube, yeah, uh, but... Any interesting, uh, stories.
1: It's amazing I mean there's there was a lot of um it was pretty cool times so like I started in 1988 which is you know a few years before UFC 1 happened and um jiu-jitsu back then was it was it was one of those things that unless you experienced it you wouldn't believe it and Okay. You know, all of us who were involved would try to recruit our friends and our fellow martial artists from other styles, and it was amazing how hard it was to get people to want to try it or be willing to, yeah. And, um, and of course, for most people, once they experienced it either being controlled, armed, barred, or choked, they would realize quickly that either they need to train this or they would run back to their old style and double down and try to figure out a way to, to re-engineer their entry so you couldn't bring them down or whatever it was. It, it was. it was such a different time and feel back then that it's almost hard to to wrap your head around it, to be quite honest, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting because uh, nowadays, I mean, Everything's so mixed uh, back then. It's almost uh, romantic in a way. I kind of miss like the style versus style. I mean, heck, yep. even even they combine grappling styles within grappling style, which yes. we, we do a lot at my school. We do ju- Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Sambo, Judo, catch wrestling. Yep. Um, but, you know, uh, another guy that's amazing that you're really connected with through this is Hegan uh, Machado. Yep. Uh, I had the pleasure of talking with him. Everything's my brother with him. It's, yeah. so, it's yeah. so heartwarming and welcoming. You kind of... Go into that. I believe you were uh, doing a keto time with uh, Mitsuyama Shida, and that kind of led you. Oh, through. What had happened was, um, so I was
1: doing uh, JKD and Kali and Muay mm. Thai, and I, it was about three or four months after my one and only pro Muay Thai fight, which I won, but it hurt really bad, and. <laughs> okay. As a former high school wrestler, I, I, I kind of I felt like I wanted to, to go to join the a junior college wrestling team. And when I showed up to that mat room, Mitch Yamashita who was the Aikido club guy was running his class. And, and I, like I went there with the intent to join wrestling, ran into Aikido which Mitch was practicing he was one of Horion's a, a private uh, students, and then Mitch basically proceeded to kick my ass using <laughs> jujitsu, and I thought it was Aikido. I, I, I was like blown away. I thought, wow, there's a whole ground part of Aikido that I was unaware of. And he said, wow. no, this is actually a Jiu-Jitsu, a specific kind, a Gracie with Jiu-Jitsu, and I'm technically not really allowed to instruct it, but here's the guy's number who can, and
0: it was Horian's number. And I went home, called Horian, and that's how I started. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, you've been there, uh, a pioneer of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You've been there doing it for a long time now. Can you kind of briefly go into just how much you've seen things change from back in like late 80s, early 90s to now? Because there's so much has gone on from old school to modern, I guess you would call it.
1: You know... Like so many things, a bunch has changed, and at the same time, not much has changed. What has mostly happened, like, I often say that, that what we are practicing now is of Japanese origin, Brazilian modified, and American and Russian in affluence. Uh, That's kind of what it is now. But each of those individual styles have refined themselves as a result of the impact of jiu-jitsu, which of course is the origins of MMA, UFC, and everything. So everything has refined itself and improved. Like For the last year, I'm with Hickson every month for two hours, and even Hickson's jiu-jitsu is in continual refinement. Wow. Uh, jiu-jitsu is the art of adaptation and that's the, the way I view it and there are some people who approach it like I'm going to just learn this either classical style or sports style or this leg weave game or whatever it is and that's a form of jiu-jitsu but the purity of the art it lies in its ability to adapt through man-made rules or not and come up with a, a non-striking solution to a multitude of problems, whether they're striking problems, grappling-only problems, or whatever it is. We're looking to resolve it through the art of the jiu-jitsu. And when I say the art, what do I mean? I mean how to control and submit my opponent utilizing the least amount of athletics and attributes and the maximum amount of leverage, knowledge, cunningness, and guile. The sport is, depending on the man made rules of the game, whether it's MMA, amateur, or pro, Chuck's backyard grapple off, or Ivy the, the JF, the sport is how do I deploy my art utilizing all my athletics within the man made rules of the game. And that's where the big um, conundrum lies on
0: whether you're being technical or athletic. And obviously, the best is both. Right, that's an amazing answer. You know, I love the way you word it too, and that is, fight the way you train. Yes, that's one of my favorite quotes. You will
1: fight the way you train, because our fighting brain, if you will, has to operate on a level which we cannot sit there and analyze. We don't have the time but to analyze it. You know, it's like... Part of the problem with the classical martial arts or the fantasy arts,
0: hmm.
1: even some jiu-jitsu practitioners, it is because we're slowing it down to learn it, we lose the essence of real action and real uh, timing. Wow. And at, at a period of time in which most martial arts have lost that, what my first black belt calls aliveness. Matt Matt in my first black belt, but yeah, coins it aliveness. And most martial arts have lost that. And the combat sports had been constrained by the rules of the game. So, jiu-jitsu was this thing that had both a freedom of exploration beyond the man-made rules of the game and the reality of the combat sports, boxing, wrestling, because it was alive. It was real resistance against people as equally as skilled as me, not the average attacker on the street will come at you like this. You know it and the the then existing what was called martial arts as opposed to the combat sports were largely now these bullshit systems selling snake oil and the <laughs> the um, The delusion that when you got to a certain level, it would finally work. That you could suddenly, when you became a third degree, whatever, now your sidekick and spin kick would work. Now your chi-sau sticky hands would be effective against a boxer. It's just kind of one of those things that,
0: luckily, things evolved, Right? Yeah, I mean that's probably the biggest thing I love. I got into uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in two thousand four, and one of the biggest things I loved about it the most is the practicality of it. Yeah, and also unlike other traditional martial arts, yeah, the evolution is always evolving versus doing something for the past, you know, several decades or whatnot. And the whole concept now as a black belt, you know, what's old becomes new. Uh it's yes. very, very interesting. You see, like especially in the past, like eight or ten years, the leg lock game's like really blown up. It's like, guys, this has been around forever. It's just. It really has,
1: and you know, one of the lines I give all the time when I teach, because I'm old, 58, and I've been around a long time, is it's kind of like style, like I'm at the age where I'm seeing the skinny tie come back in for the second or third time, and I, I can distinctly remember eight, ten years ago or so when the underpass was out. And I I can take fairly high-level sport guys and underpass them very well. And then, of course, people like me and the old-school guys, we go around and suck all the time, and we Mm -hmm. reintroduce the old stuff. And I've noticed in just the last month, like even these blue belts are heavy-hipping and countering my underpassing very well. Right? Because the skinny ties in. And... So it, it, that's kind of how things things happen. Um, in the evolution of this, you can evolve towards you're always evolving towards adaptation. And people often imply, imply intelligent direction on evolution which isn't there. We will adapt to fight within the rules of, of the game. That's when I often say yeah. that that the environment is stronger than Will. As much as you want to say that I'm going to be a complete martial artist, if you are training at an IBJJF rules-only way, you are going to have a hard time transitioning into MMA. Because it has evolved, it has speciated (laughs) to a point where another... Analogy I love is is like when you are into to phylogeny and evolution. Like, look at the evolution of cats. A cheetah has evolved to be the perfect hunter in the plains of Africa for sprints and a few quick turns. The panther has evolved to be an effective hunter in the jungle going up and down and over vines and small spaces. And if you put the panther in the plains and the cheetah in the jungle, there's a good chance both will starve. And I'm not saying one wow. is better. and It's not one is, right. it's, it is a superior thing. It's that they, they are they've evolved because they've adapted to their environment. And no matter how much that cheetah says I'm going to be a panther, <laughs> If it's in the plains of Africa, it's got to be a cheetah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> At the end of the day, that's a great analogy. A absolutely amazing analogy. I, or I even when I get uh, officers, uh, police officers coming in, right? Like, Yeah. Some jujitsu is better than no jiu-jitsu. But if you're primarily training sport and you're not training how you fight or how you will need to use this in the field, so to speak, or the street. It could be not good. Yes. Yes. It can be not good
1: because... The the street is a whole other game, and even law enforcement has its own rules of engagement. That right. that are there's also man made rules of the game. Right, there's what I call the natural rules of the game, being Earth's gravity. Um, your opponent will most likely have two arms and two legs and one head. There's various natural rules, and then there's our man-made rules, or our cultural rules. And most combat sports, especially if the amateur ones are a bit more pure, but once it goes pro, they are engineered to make money, which means put asses in seats, to entertain an audience so they will pay money to watch it. And one of the things that drastically changed MMA was when they made rounds. And right. some grappling purists will be infuriated because now, now you've given the boxer and kick the boxer an advantage over the grappler. Because if they can last that three-minute round on the ground, they get to go back up. But in some ways, that's even more applicable to a street fight. Hmm. The like ability, because most street altercations, even as a cop, are gonna last under one round.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's gonna be one brutal round of MMA is probably the more appropriate training route. But, but, one interjection. If yep. you're gonna do this for the rest of your life, I encourage you to delve deep into the art of jujitsu because MMA has a shorter shelf life. Being hit, just, you can't
0: handle it as long as you can. It's, jiu that's amazing yeah, that's a great segue too into you know people that are listening some people are brand new to jujitsu, and then they're their 20s and there's other people that are you know like you say like in their 50s and things like that so can you kind of give a brief analogy for people how to approach their training for jujitsu, whether uh, it's the young guy versus the older guy getting into it
1: oh boy yeah, yeah, yeah you know it's interesting as an older guy now again i'm 58 geez i can't believe it um, which means I attract a lot of older students as well, and a, a lot of advice. I'll say so. Eight years ago or so, I'm 50 years old, went and had lunch with Hickson, and was kind of after, like I had just competed in Masters Worlds, I I I, I had one in my weight class, took second in the open class, and... Something was telling me that I'm too old to be doing this anymore and that mm. old guys doing these five minute black belt matches, which is a sprint, is kind of absurd. And yeah. and <laughs> so basically, Hickson approved of my desire to, to hang up the competition, just to say I'm done. Not waffle anymore. See, some months I want to do it, some months I don't. You know, that, that whole thing. And open up a pathway to go into a new growth path for the jiu-jitsu. A path in which is sustainable for when I'm older than I am now. So at this point in time, I am practicing jiu-jitsu for when I'm 68. Oh, Not for next year's Masters Worlds. And that's a different mindset. And personally, for me, it's really opened up the art again. And again, when I say the art, I mean the knowledge, the techniques, the leverage without the use of athletics. That wow. is the art. And, and you really have to separate those athletics out. And it's a hard thing to do. And in the last year, eight years... That's been my little journey. And I kind of made up a rule that when I'm rolling against lower belts that I can't use any speed or strength. God, is it a humbling rule. Yeah, <laughs> Because I'll miss shit. I'll get shit, quote unquote, scored on me. But what it also does is I've improved my jiu-jitsu itself a lot over the last few years. I've really gone up leaps and bounds. And I always say, and I was even telling to Hickson the other month, and he had a laugh out of it, is I know I've got one more match in me. It's like being the old lion. The young lions don't want to fuck with the old one because they know he's got one left in them. And just one left. And after that, I might be crippled. But I know I've got one left where I'm going to feel like I'm 19. and, and But that's it. And and I'm going to save that one. I'm not going to waste it on a young, eager purple belt in a club role. I'm just, it's not worth my ruining
0: myself for that match, if that makes sense. Man, what an interesting mindset. You have another amazing quote along this kind of category. It's about who's left. Yeah, I kind of came up with that one during a period of time
1: of a lot of injuries. I was already a black belt. And reflecting back upon and asking myself, why am I doing this shit? It hurts. (laughs) And, um, you know, there's one thing that I do have, which a lot of athletes have, especially a lot of, well, combat athletes. There's a stubbornness. There's a resolve that most of us have before we even step on a mat the Mm -hmm. first time and then it's cultivated and reinforced, is that we don't quit. So it, if I'm gonna take that view of like, God, this hurts, but I can't quit. It enables me to approach it with a thousand yard view, instead of a 10 yard view. Where do I want, how am I gonna to get to that thousand yard objective? And then you have to be smarter, and you just have to train smarter. And if you're a lower belt, maybe you're an older guy, and you're like, God, I really want my black belt. You've got to remember that the first goal is to not get hurt, because getting hurt could make you have to quit. And if nothing can make you
0: quit, then eventually you're going to get there. You just can't get hurt. Yeah, it's all about mindset. I mean, maybe you can go into this. I hear this so much through the years, is the blue belt blues. Ah, the blue <laughs> belt blues, <Yes. laughs>
1: So the white belt through to the blue belt, you're basically, even if you resist it, you're going to learn the jujitsu by osmosis almost. It's going to happen. If you show up, you're going to learn to have the skills to be awarded a blue belt. That's almost inevitable. The purple belt is kind of the first belt that you actually have to earn. Hmm. You get the blue belt by showing up. You get the purple belt, you earn it. You have to do... There's a transformational change that you have to participate in that doesn't just happen as a result of showing up. And so the, the, the blue belt blues usually comes because the blue belt is the eager belt. You get your blue belt, you're excited, you, you want to learn more. That blue belt came by just showing up, so the purple belt must also come by just showing up. Then you start hitting these walls where it feels like you'll never be strong enough, you'll never be fast enough, You'll never be you, you'll never be able to remember that complex chain of moves that the coach showed me. All these things that get in the way that, you learn how to learn better, and you resolve. And people usually get to their purple belt on their strengths. They get there on their strengths. They discover as the blue belt that they have a good guard. So they get to purple belt on the strength of their guard. Or they're good passers. Or they're really good at standing up. And they stand up and bring you their opponent down. And that's how. Then you get through your purple belt on your strengths and you get awarded your a brown belt and you get through the brown belt by addressing your weaknesses mm. so you, you go through another learning phase in which some of the stuff that you put on the back a burner or just hate learning maybe it's foot locks maybe it's open guard maybe it's closed guard maybe it's standing passing maybe it's knee whatever it is You address what you're weak on. Now, through your brown belt, you're putting back together the whole game. And then you get your black belt, and my advice is you always start all over again. Start over as if you're a white belt, and every stripe on the black belt, empty your cup, erase the whiteboard, and
0: start over again. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, because you always advocate, and I'm really, really advocating this myself, is you're always a student. Always a student, yes. The other kind of thing to go off of this, you hear a lot in different academies, is just whatever belt level they're at, that plateauing thing. They're hitting that wall. What's some good tips for guys, whether they're beginners, intermediate, or advanced, been doing this for decades, and they just kind of they hit this barrier. They feel they can't get over that hump. Yeah, I mean philosophically
1: speaking, and it's always, it's easier to apply philosophy and theory than it is application often, but just on on a philosophical level, Hmm. the first few years of the jiu-jitsu is mostly acquiring stuff. You're learning stuff. You're building new information, new pathways and all that stuff. Then, you get to a point where it's about letting shit go. It's, it's about discovering the bad habits that you insist upon that you have to let go. So I, I, I say as a yin-yang analogy, learning jujitsu begins with the acquisition, taking stuff in, getting good at it begins with the discarding of stuff and getting rid of shit that you picked up. God, I
0: guess it's like a quality over quantity, for but, sure, for sure. You know, some people get technique crazy.
1: Yes, and, and that's a trap. Mm. There's a trap that we fall into. We all do, where we somehow think if we acquire some new knowledge or some new version of this pass or that pass or whatever it is, that we're going to improve. Because sometimes we do. Sometimes we're literally rewarded for that acquisition of new. And then we get to a point where what we're really acquiring is, is where we realize we're refining what we already know. And we're finding out, like I often tell my upper belts all the time, is I'm going to show you this, but you're going to realize that you already know it now. But you didn't realize you knew this until I show it to you. And then what happens is the awareness of something you do well, you can improve upon. And you can find out where your flaw is in it. Oh. And then suddenly you have growth again.
0: And that's kind of my approach. Yeah, that keeps it nice and straightforward for everybody, because everybody's got different walks of life going into it. The other thing to go into is dealing with injuries. What's the worst injury that you ever had, and how'd you kind of overcome that?
1: Oh, geez, what would be the worst injury I've ever had? Well, my 20s was a period where my back was out all the time. Lower back, right? Um, that only happens now about once a year but it was out like almost once a month my 30s it was my neck my neck was injured all the time that was when I became a real head grappler I, I used my head all the time Okay. Um, it was kind of when I was a new black belt and bringing back my wrestling which is a lot of head use um, my late 40s I had my first knee injuries which, suddenly, I, always, I was always sympathetic to people who had knee injuries, but now I had empathy. <laughs> when you realize how critical knees are to all the combat sports, especially the grappling arts, oh, yeah. it is really humbling when your knee is out. And working around a bad knee injury was, was definitely a pathway of growth for me. <laughs> And there were times where I wanted to quit. You know, it's, it starts on the inside of one knee, then it goes to the outside of that knee, then it jumps to the other knee, and then it's transferred <laughs> to your hip because you're walking weird. And, and, and it just starts this cascade of injuries. And I went through a good five-year period where it seemed like I was always hurt. I couldn't get a week without having a major alley. Wow. Yeah, and um, knock on wood, I've had a pretty good injury-free, relatively speaking, period since COVID lockdowns. I got one of my knees that was bad. I finally squeezed in the operation in between one of the, like, lockdown periods, which was great, and meniscus tear, scrape, and
0: yeah, um... Thank God for modern medical science. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting though, that too. I mean, what do you think that is? The perseverance through that? Because some people, they get freaked out by the injury and they other quit. Is it a matter of just changing gears and almost being forced to get that new development? What's a good yeah. perseverance point for people to focus on there? I mean, on one level, and I say this
1: a lot. Sometimes I think, and we do this with all hobbies and arts. On one level, this is really important shit. And on this other level, jujitsu jitsu is so unimportant. Hmm. So, I and I'm not saying quit. I'm hmm. saying don't approach this thing as if it's the most important thing in the world. This should remain fun and but cathartic. Not something that you impose pressure on yourself constantly to be better. The perfectionist. And we tend to have that, all of us humans. And and I often say, you know, in a time where we're on the cusp of nuclear Armageddon, yeah, yeah. the stakes couldn't be so low on the mat. Yeah, right. What happens on that mat? The stakes couldn't be so low. And I just try to not worry about this... This, the, the bullshit about it, right? Cause yeah. It's, the self-pressure, the ego, the, the, I beat you, therefore I'm now really good. It's like, yeah, you beat me because you're 38 and I'm 58,
0: you know, whatever. <laughs> and again everybody's got different goals and, and things like that yep. uh, going into it. Uh, there's another aspect to you uh, like I said, I mean you're part of history. I mean there was not a lot of translation from certain positions I guess you would say or techniques from Portuguese to English. So you, like you yeah. you coined like combat base and yes. and, and several others. Could you kind of go into that and what that transition was like. Yeah, um, and, and, and I mean, the only reason why I came up with names
1: is because I didn't know what the names were, right? It's like, I don't know what to call it, so I'll name it. Um, you know who did a great job naming shit is Eddie Bravo, of course, oh, right? Okay. Name him my brandon. Right, I, I mean, he ran the gambit of it. Um, and you know the style in which he created. I often joke about it. I call it stoner jujitsu or whatever. But I mean, it's a, it's a definite positive contribution to not only the sport but even sometimes in MMA. I, I, I mean, it's it's definitely geared towards a specific body type in which I do not have. Never yeah. really did. I'm not the guy who, who can put my foot behind my head or any that. I just don't have that style of hits or guard. Um, but I, I, I absolutely appreciate it as a style and as a game, right? I mean,
0: yeah,
1: it's all good. That's the
0: line I like saying all the time. It's all good, right? It's all good. I also want to talk to you about, just on the side as being a coach, you mentioned earlier a notable student, First Black Belt's Matt Thornton, who started yep. uh, Straight Blast Gym, (SBG), and then by proxy, his student, John Kavanaugh, uh, who's yep. who Conor McGregor's coach, and yep. McGregor endearingly called you his coach's, coach's coach. Yep. Uh, yeah, What does it feel like to be part of the zeitgeist, so to speak, part of history. To, you well, know, I mean, yeah, know.
1: It, it's definitely ego massaging. I'm not going to say it's not. Um, it's like, I remember when suddenly MMA athletes, UFC athletes were becoming household names. Mm. And it, that seemed really weird. Like yeah. maybe, like I can remember a time even a year ago, i getting my haircut and they're talking about all these UFC people and all that. And I've gotten to a point where most of the time when people ask me, because now they know what these years look like in me, and mean, they'll ask me if I train. And I, I always like, if I'm not in the mood to talk about it. I say, Oh, I used to a long time ago because I kind of don't want to engage in, in that. What I call the, the fan part of this thing the fan part of this thing to me is kind of gross. Mm, I got it, it, I, I mean, I, I get it's necessary. and It certainly has made a lot of people a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Bless their hearts, I guess. Um, but I'm just not into the whole fan thing. I've yeah. never been a sports fan. i I'm, I like like when I watch either MMA or grappling. I'm watching the highlight reel, the short clips, and I almost never know the names of the athletes. I'm really bad at that, of like keeping track of of who's who. It's interesting because the combat sports Mm -hmm. at UFC, uh, boxing, are structured around our brains' limited skill to keep more than three names in our head at any (laughs) given time. Yeah. So, it's, it's the narrative, is, it's a fascinating narrative that gets into the subconscious of athletes as well, hmm. is there's always one guy at the top, two or three contenders that eventually take that reign. then they're at the top, and it's just kind of how our brains work. When yeah. really, really, if you had a fair open brackets, which would be a lot harder, the top guys wouldn't stay on the top as long as they do in pro MMA or boxing. But because you only have to do one fight, you can be a little bit older for boxing and MMA than you can in Olympic wrestling or jiu-jitsu. Because the bracket's bigger and it, it, it's, it's fight hard, cool down, fight hard, cool down, fight hard cooldown and that is a younger man's game. Whereas experience starts to go to the guy who has one fight every six months. A lot of those other fights are under his belt and then can so again environment is stronger than will you figure out right, the yeah. environment you
0: you tweak the training to adapt. That's so true, though. And if you had a Mount Rushmore, not just jiu-jitsu, just martial arts in general. Who, who, would, who, who goes up there? The hard-hitting questions here. Yeah,
1: I mean, obviously, for me, the, the, the absolute peak of that is Hicks and Gracie. Yeah. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. I've often said that Gracie jiu-jitsu without Hickson is a myth. Hickson makes it a legend. Oh, yeah. I totally he, he, yeah. he gives credence to the no one can beat us, right? With the other ones, it was right place, right time. Let's not have him fight this guy because we might lose. We'll have him fight that guy. It was a lot more engineered, but Hickson was the fucking man. Oh. And there's like, so Hickson's the top of Mount Rushmore and i'm going to stick in jean jacques machado in there oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, I mean th- th- that's the like evolution of like when sport grappling gi and no gi started to really speciate the open guard the inside hooks the the tweaking it with a little bit of wrestling and sambo and the pressure pass game was hegan machado like he oh yeah he was the one who, who outside of Horion's orders to not, he would go seek out more Greco training, more wrestling, so he could take this thing that jiu-jitsu didn't have it, wrestling didn't have it, Greco didn't have it, judo had the, the static clinginess, and there was the combination of all those, and guys like Hegan who developed the pressure game and it, it took all those things right yeah and i'm not saying any of these guys i'm sticking up here could beat the current roided out world champion <laughs> yeah because again that's it, a good way to word it it's, it's an evolving technology and yeah. as isaac newton said you know i'm not a genius i stand on the shoulders of giants and those are the giants and For just martial arts as a whole, I would put Dan and Asanto or
0: Bruce Lee on that Mount Rushmore. Man, those definitely pushed everything along. Did the most impact, even the athletes that are going on it today. I love that sitting on the shoulders of those other guys as well. Now going into like, man, Jujitsu is as popular as it's ever been. It's in movies, and you see celebrities of all styles and other sports as well. You what? What do you God? What do you think makes... What's the appeal? What do you think is so appealing of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Well, so, in the combat sports,
1: which is what, once you have a taste of reality you want above the fantasy entertainment martial arts, but, you you know, they all have an advantage. They all have an area of expertise. And... Jiu-jitsu has the longest shelf life. Boxing, a very short one. Getting hit in the head. Boxing is the art of exchanging punches. And you're going to get hit. Mm. And you can only handle that so long. Judo, Greco, there's a lot of impact. Hitting that mat bounces your brain inside of the skull. I I can't handle it anymore. I, I can't handle the but falls anymore. I could throw you, I just can't handle being thrown yeah. anymore. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu just it, it lasts longer. So I think and and the reason why it lasts longer is the same reason for its appeal. Hmm. It's the gentle art. It's truly the easier, softer way to realistically
0: defeat an opponent in an alive environment. Yeah, that makes the most sense out of it because yeah, you can't, you know, like battle tested wise. I mean, we can spar pretty much a hundred percent, ninety percent, whatever, and still walk away relatively unscathed. Whereas, do a nice big throw, take a a right cross that changes the game. And that was one of the major reasons why you kind of switched from the striking arts. Right? You start out with like Shotokan karate, start working way towards like Muay Thai and things like that. Correct? Yes yeah um um like I
1: should say I mean I, I think I, well what was I I was 23 or 24 23 coming off my one and only pro Muay Thai fight I mean it felt like a card run me over I mean it fucking oh. hurt it was three hard shin to shin rounds and Man. and I'm like God no wonder the poor people. Are the ones who like you got to have a reason. You got to have heart and drive and a reason to keep at it. At least the way to fight pro. I mean, yeah, hitting bags and hitting pads, sparring light. That's a whole other thing, but to fight is a whole other game, right? And yeah, it was just I, I for whatever reason I decided that I wanted to transition into. You know, I didn't even, like I said, I wasn't looking for a jiu-jitsu, but within moments I realized that I had found exactly what I wanted. The shadow of a doubt. Like, wow, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Th- this is science and art combined.
0: Great way to word it, yes.
1: Th- th- this is like wrestling with freedom. It's without being bound by the rules and the weight classes and the skimpy little uniforms. And it it added other grips, the cloth, which made it more complex and more applicable to the street. And no gi I love, but, you know, most street fights you have, people are going to be wearing clothing. And the cloth is more appropriate most of the time. I'm not saying it's
0: not ever, but so, yeah, it's... You know, geez, it, 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 it's a whole other deal, right? A million percent. A million percent. Uh, and kind of like guys, we're kind of wrapping up here, what do you see as far as the future of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu specifically? You know, where do you see things kind of evolving, so to speak, or going into? Do you see more, like when you're refereeing Metamorris and Meji Kimono, uh, yep. do a showy roll, like where do you see the future of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu evolving to? You know, so, God, I'm, I'm trying to figure out
1: what year it was. I want to say it was 2010 when I made a mission to make a gi in America, <laughs> and I spent 10000 bucks in a year trying to make a gi in L.A. Wow. And it was during that time where I got a Brian from Origins number who had just set up oh. his origin operation. And I remember telling them on the phone, damn, you beat me to it. <laughs> and him explaining the lengths he went to to buy the machines and all that. Wow. And both of us had kind of a, similar experience where I had old Italian Mugard mentos explain the economic warfare of China shutting down buying up LA clothing factories to put locks on them just to kill it. And um, I always say I wish I would have had a camera guy follow me around on, on that journey to try to make a fucking ghee in LA. How difficult it was to be standing in a building with a with hundred sewing machines, and they're sewing jeans, and saying, and, and having someone act like this was some complicated fucking thing to me. I'm like, you can fucking make a pair of jeans. This is not complicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, if you bring me the supplies, um, we'll figure it out, and I'll make it. It's like, what <laughs> the fuck am I paying you for? <laughs> Where's the clothing expert? Well, Here's the seamstress, and then I'd go spend a thousand dollars on a seamstress to come up with patterns and it Oh was my gosh. It, it was like I remember chewing her out once. I mean I wasn't too mean, but I was kinda mean when she handed me a bill and a sample that looked like shit, nothing like the one I'd handed her, which was a ghee <sighs> made in Pakistan. I'm like, reproduce this and make patterns. Yeah. And I remember I said, Do you realize this is why America is losing? Because I get 10 emails a day from China to Pakistan begging to make my ghee. And here I have to pull fucking teeth. Yeah. To get somebody. It's insane. Who already makes jeans, dresses, and everything else, which is much simpler. There's no buttons, no zippers, no complications. Can you just make the fucking thing?
0: <laughs> That's
1: insane. And she, she looked at me like I was clueless. And... And that was kind of when I had spent too much money and time at that point. Just done. And, and then it was about a month later, one of my then blue belts, who's now one of my uh, uh, black belts, who's a high-end streetwear clothing guy, Rob Beta, hooked me up with Vince from Show Your Roll. Oh, okay. And because he was hooking up Vince with streetwear brands in Japan... And part of the quid pro quo was Vince would make my magic kimono. Oh, cool. Okay. So that was when I did three runs with Show Your Roll of Magic Kimono, which were very cool. Um, maybe someday I'll make more. I don't know.
0: But yeah, it was just kind of a, a period in time, which who knows? It's insane. and like I mean, we're so spoiled now, seemingly. Everybody, there's geese popping up everywhere. But again, most of those are made in China or Pakistan. Sure. And uh, it's crazy. I remember when
1: I was a blue or purple belt at the time, and some Brazilians had showed up to the Machado mat, guys sleeping in sleeping bags on the mat, blue, purple, brown belt Brazilians, bringing up all the new shit from Brazil. It was awesome at the time. And of course... They would bring as many gis as they could pack. And Brazilian gis were like gold because we're having these judo gis and, you know, where, where the sleeve is all wrong. The pants are too thin. And yeah. They were, like, it was just wrong. And, God, it was like sharks. You know, they'd pour those out and we would, I got this one, I got this one. You didn't even care if it fit right. It's like, I got a Brazilian gee. I got an Atama. I got a a Krugan's. It it, it, it was like, yeah, it was kind of like when I was a kid—the rarity of a wetsuit. Um, You know, when I grew up, it's like parents didn't want to buy wetsuits because wetsuits were expensive, and you grow out of them. So, like, getting a wetsuit was like gold. Now you buy them in Target and Walmart and Costco. Oh, it just. (laughs) It blows me away how cheap and easy it is to get a wetsuit. That <laughs> yeah. just, I'm still living in the nineteen seventies and early eighties where a
0: wetsuit was an exclusive product that costs a lot of money. It's unbelievable, yeah, how much more things are accessible and things like that. Kind of uh, last question here is you know, you know, running your own academies, the effectiveness you've had on multiple multitudes of students. What's a a message people listening like to have just towards Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the way you teach your outlook on just approach to training Jiu-Jitsu? Well, I'm going to say this from the perspective I'm at now, Mm
1: -hmm. which is a 58-year-old aging old black belt. My number one goal is to not get hurt, Hmm. which overrides the spirit of I'm going to play. The line, keep it playful, that um, um, Heron uses, <laughs> I believe that line came from Matt Thornton originally. And that line is, is a valuable line. Because when you keep it playful, and Heron and Henner are really good at this. How <laughs> it too. Is, and it's, it's a way of training that's fun. And if you're not having fun, what's the point? Great point. The point. Yes. And, and in this culture that we have, in the subculture of martial arts, remember that you are paying money. You should not be paying money to be controlled, to be told what you have to wear, yeah. to be punished and injured... This is cultism. And I try to stay away from the cultism. I always have. Sometimes I have to be in it. Sometimes I have to fake it. I'm part of it. But ultimately, I'm here to enjoy myself. Well, I do this because I can't not do it. It's like that much a part of me. But if you're new in this, do it like to have a good time.
0: Man, I love that. I love that you touched on that subject, too, because it, it turns into cultism quite a bit, or even the, the politics of it and the drama of it. And It's like that in any style, though, right? You talk to someone from judo, you talk to someone from samba. I, there's a lot of that, but I love your outlook, I've always loved following what you do, what you teach, and it's an amazing mindset. From, you, know who, you know who one of my favorite podcasters is? Lex. Oh,
1: yes. Friedman podcast, right? God, I I want him to come to my garage and and train with me so bad. I love that guy. Yeah. And I love his approach. Just hearing his podcast, how he does, I mean, I always think I'm open-minded. I feel he's more open-minded than me. (laughs) And I'm pretty freaking open-minded. Politically, ideologically, intellectually. Martial arts approach. I mean, I definitely am the be a sponge instead of a stone mindset, and uh, yeah. So if any of you know Lex, tell him to come roll with me in my garage. Oh, a
0: million percent!
1: Yeah, a million That's percent. <laughs> shout out to <laughs> my heroes.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Oh yeah, I have to mention my wife will kill me. Yeah, go to combatbase.com my website join the combat base club like and subscribe to the combat base youtube channel Don't just look up combat base because there's 400 things on the combat base Don't just look up my name because it's probably me not on my own channel But join the combat base youtube channel turn off the bell and you'll never know you joined It'll help my algorithm and I'm running a camp this June. I think it's 15th through 17th I can't remember 14th through 17th in Costa Rica no, sir Hiking, surfing, the um You can sign up at combatbase.com. I'm glad I remembered that, or my wife would have strangled my neck.
0: It's and okay. My wife's a tough black belt, too. <laughs> awesome. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. Thank you again. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.